But number four is the big one. If this person walked in on Monday morning and gave their notice, your heart would jump into your throat. How could we possibly function without this person? Whatever person comes to mind after yourself, those four questions, is exactly the person I would suggest you identify as an, as an eligible member for the subject matter expert model. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, still your host, still the same show, still the same guy. Guys, thank you for uh, coming out of the conservative closet or whatever other closet you're in. I tell the story about my sister often, uh, who's a staunch liberal and she lives in California and, and she's a lesbian, but she's in the closet about being a gun owner because her friends aren't down with that. Uh, guys, today, the first episode is a little bit of a different type of episode, but it is important for you, whether you work at a company, you run a company, a lot of my audience are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, or you run that small business, 10 to 100 employees, there is a freaking disaster of a situation with workforce availability. And literally no one's talking about it, except to my knowledge, except for our guest today. And I got to tell you, as someone who's had a career, I mean, it's still it's weird, because I'm I'm, I'm young. I consider myself young. Um, but now being a military retiree, which I got medically retired, my, my career ended shorter than I wanted it to. Um, but having been in organizational development, business development, being key leaders at different organizations, I was shocked when I came across our guest. So he is none other than Chris Zarnick. Uh, you got to go to his website, guys. Like, Again, this is an emergency. Now, Zarnik's hard to spell. Uh, a lot of you guys are phonetically challenged, so just go in the show notes. And after you like and you share and you subscribe and you leave the rate and review because you're a podcast listener, which is, you know, we're, we're promoting podcasts. We've been promoting podcasts for months, guys. Uh, leave that rate and review. You get a chance to win uh, prizes, shirts, mugs, mentions on the show, that kind of thing. While you're there doing that, just click on the website. You're going to, if you try and type Chris Zarnick into Google right now, you're going to mess it up and you're going to be learning about Russian czars or, or some psycho from the, the 1600s. Uh, so just click on the link with your finger. You got a touch phone or you're on your tablet. All you got to do is click on the link. The website is Chris Zarnick. Now let's bring him up. Chris, how are you, my friend? I am so great and, and really honored to be on your show uh, uh, so early in the year. Uh, it's an important topic, and we have a new year in order to dive into new topics. And I want to give everybody on the show an edge uh, in this this war for talent that we're about to experience. We are literally, I I kid you not. Um, I, I like I said, I wanted to have your book up. I can't. I have two copies. I can't find it. Um, everyone's probably doing this. I'm doing this. Is the Joe Mobley show 2022 year in review. And on the other side, I'm working on the business plan. Everyone's doing this guys. You've established it. Maybe you did it last quarter. You need to make room, take out your, your notepad and make room for what uh, Chris and I are going to go over today because well, because of what the book is called, the book is called winning the war on talent, by the way, 
go buy it immediately. I never tell people to buy. I never. I've done 24, 25 months of podcast over 200 interviews. I've never told people to pause the show. Pause the show and go buy the book. Winning the War on Talent, Chris Zarnick. Uh, so, Chris, tell us about yourself. Uh, we, we met at a Vistage, so uh, awesome organization. So tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do. Right. So, so my name is Chris Zarnick, and I've spent the last 20 years figuring out why people go to and leave organizations from 2002 to 2017. I was probably the best-known career coach in the country and, uh, and helped about 20,000 people, whether they're high school graduates, college graduates, or mid-career professionals in their 40s or 50s, uh, help them figure out what to do for a living and how to find it. So what, as one CEO uh, who I was consulting for his company uh, introduced me, he said, well, if, if we're out fishing for talent, Chris just spent 17 years with the fish. And that, that's probably the best way to describe it. Um, I taught people how to find you and your great company, your great organizations for 17 years, almost 25,000 of them over those 17 years. And, um, and the process that I used, I actually created a process called Human Search Engine, um, which was identified as a national job search model by Congress. And it actually is used by Congress when, uh, as a tool when people leave, they and their staff leave and get voted out of Congress, uh, they get my uh, job search process, Human Search Engine, as a tool to help them figure out what to do after government service. But suffice it to say that for almost 20 years, uh, I taught people a process to figure out where they belonged in the world of work and how to find it. Because if you look at your own history, Joe and everybody else on the show, you never had a class, right? You never had a class to figure out your personality type, your skills, your abilities, your talents, what problems you could solve, who had those problems, how to identify the companies that have those problems within a 25 mile radius of my, uh, you know, of my home by SIC code and by the business cycle that they're in and how to identify those companies and, and promote myself to them in a way that is more beneficial than the other 27 people who applied for the job and how to display that the fact that employing me, I could solve your problems and that had a greater value than the cost of my pay and benefits. I, I've done 162 Vistage presentations in the last two and a half years. I am the subject matter expert on this topic for 38,000 CEOs across the country. But mostly I want you to know that the vast majority of people who are out there looking for work or looking for a new job Nobody's ever taught them how to figure it out or to do a research project, even though you would never buy a car without research, you'd never buy a house without research, you probably wouldn't even figure out where to go for pizza on Friday night without research. And yet somehow, all my job seekers, I have to get them at a point we've, been, we've taught them to send a, a, a resume to a person they've never met at a company they've never heard of for a job they've never done and cross their fingers that it's going to be a good fit. So I, I teach now instead of job seekers, how to find companies, I teach companies now how to find those people uh, and bring, bring great talent into their organization and keep it there. Yeah. You know, you, you dropped so much knowledge and uh, I have notes, but I don't know where they are. Couldn't find them. Uh, but this is, this is a testament to how valuable what Chris is doing is. We met the one time, one day, uh, you know, he gave me a book. I bought an additional book and I remember so much of that conversation because it was that important. One of the things I, I was trained up in the military and they're transitioning out, uh, tell people to target industry clusters, the 12, 16, there's mm -hmm. uh, whatever, how many, 12 or 16 industry clusters. 
Um, but you honed in on SIC codes, which is what, you know, I was at Accenture. That's what they used. Um, and that's what we used with clients. But HSP Direct, the company that brought you know us together, um, also focuses in on that. And it changes the dynamic of how to find workers. And same thing, another thing Accenture, you know, kind of does to its employees. And I found the value in is uh, the, it used to be called Clifton Strengths. I think they got bought by Gallup. Um, I live and breathe by those things. I, I know about myself now that my number one strength is ideation. So when I go at something, I know that I'm the good idea fairy and that I need to accept that my ideas are going to go all over the place and people are going to strike nine out of 10 of them down. And that's okay because I vomit ideas all over people. But now I know why that happens. My number one, which is super rare, is ideation. Sure, exactly. Had, had no clue. And, and, and where, where I'm starting from is this premise. So, so I'm going to just start at the beginning, if I may. Uh, and if I go off track, just let me know, Joe. But two things. So number one, we have for the past 50 years, there were always more people than there were jobs. Fundamental issue, mm. right? As a, jo- as, a, as, a, as a company, we had money, we had pay, we had benefits. And because there were more people than there were jobs, people we posted a job ad a line formed and we got to cho- choose who came to come in and kiss the ring of HR and kneel in front of the altar of our organization. And, 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 and the reason I say that is not to be divisive at all, but if you think about what job seekers have been through, and I was on the other side of the table, some 90% of every resume and cover letter that's got mailed in the last 10 years in America went completely unresponded to. Why? Because companies didn't have to respond to everybody because there were always a line of people who wanted that job. Well, the math is certain, and if you ask me to, I'll go through the math, but the math is absolutely certain that in the, for at least the next decade, we are 8 million people short. It, there's no theory, there's no politics, there's no religion, it's math. We, we for the last 40 years, have had a workforce, available workforce of 218 million people based on the generations and the generations in the workforce. And with my generation, the baby boomers, which were the largest generation in the history of the country uh, up until the millennials, we never thought about the possibility as an employer that if we posted a perfectly good job with perfectly good pay and benefits, we never considered a possibility that nobody would apply. And yet that's what I teach companies now because, you know, I joke all the time, we, we, uh, people post job ads and people don't apply or the right people don't apply and they start blaming the job seekers, right? Well, I saw it on TV. Nobody wants to work and everybody's lazy and everybody's, all those darn millennials went to school for their French art degree and are living in their parents' basement on their parents' couch delivering grub pub, you know, grub pub to each other and nobody wants to work. I got to get you to stop that, right? If, if, if you went fishing and you didn't catch any fish and you walked around blaming the fish, people would laugh at you. <laughs> Right. Like if you couldn't find customers and your salespeople walked in and blamed the customers, you would you would have a really stern conversation with them. But for the first time ever, we are in a situation where we're eight million people short in the worker population and the, and the labor participation rate is the lowest level it's been since uh, since the, the uh, since 1945, the end of World War Two. And so it is the reason I wrote the book, The Winning the War for Talent. It's a mathematical certainty. There are not enough breathing human beings in America to fill all the jobs being vacated, vacated at a rate of 10 to 12,000 a day of my people, my baby boomer people. 
And I'm not even talking about the right people. There aren't enough people who can fog a mirror in America to fill. There has to be winners and losers. What my job is to get your organization, give you enough ideas to get you fully staffed before this thing really falls off a cliff in about two and a half years. How often do people just not understand what you're saying? Because you said to us, well, so many things like we need to treat it like a disaster because it is it it's it's you know there's a difference between a tornado and a hurricane a tornado happens all of a sudden a hurricane there's some warning and you can prepare are people preparing for that because i i mean i my mandate at that company was to build a team hire people i probably hired four five six people in my first 60 days um and then and then i meet you and i, I go back i was feverishly in LinkedIn recruiter, speaking with our recruiters, making sure that we revamped every job post, that we responded to everyone who replied, sent an inquiry. If someone sends me a snail mail letter now, I reply, period, because that relationship point is worth its weight in gold with this deficit, uh, which again, it's hard numbers, folks. Yeah, hard Joe, you're not making more people. We're not making more 22 to 55 year old people. Right. And Joe, think about what you just told me is we, you started responding to job seekers the same way that you've responded to every other important relationship in your life, which says what? Yeah. That for, for the longest time, we simply took for granted that if we had money and gold, people wanted it more. We needed, listen, this is the hard truth and swallow hard here, everybody. For the first Five simple steps. That's all that separates you from the life you have and the life you wish you had. By now, you know that I've led in the toughest environments imaginable. I've built organizations from the ground up. I consulted with one of the world's largest and most influential consulting firms, and I've built unbeatable teams time and time again. I'm living the life that I always dreamed of, and now I'm dreaming of a bigger vision for the future, and I'm going to get it. The question is... Are you gonna get the life you've always dreamed of? What I did isn't easy, but it is simple. Book a free coaching call and I'll tell you my five secrets to crush your goals and make your dreams a reality. Heck, I'll tell them to you now. To get the life you want, the career you want, the family you want, build the legacy that lasts, you have to make these five changes in your life. Realize excellence is the only standard. Never compete with others. Compete with what you're capable of. Be bold and courageous. This is the only path to greatness. Realize no one's opinion is worth more than yours. Authenticity matters. Persistence matters more. There you have it. Five not so easy but incredibly simple strategies to help you crush your goals and win the life of your dreams. Now you can take it and run with it and see how you do on your own or you can book a free coaching call with me and I'll help you unpack how these skills can change your life right now today. What do you have to lose? Except for your dream spouse, dream career, family, legacy. I'm sure you'll get along fine without those. Book a free coaching call today. Go to thejoemobleyshow.com slash coach. Guys, the link is in the show notes. Book your free call now. thejoemobleyshow.com slash coach. Listen, this is the hard truth. And swallow hard here, everybody. For the first time in your business life, 
you need people more than they need your job and your money. And, and, and I'm going to show not only the math that there were 8 million people, I won't go through the whole math, Joe, but you remember the statistic, right? The baby boomer generations have accumulated $59 trillion in assets, double the assets of any other generation before them. We will only spend $29 trillion of that in the next 20 years before we our generation dies off almost entirely, which means that my generation and many of the people on the show, if you're in the baby boomer realm, we are handing $30 trillion the equivalent of the entire United States national debt down to a generation that's an 11% smaller. Now ask me one more time. Lar largest wealth transfer in history coming. Yes. Now, so, so again, ask me one more time why people don't have to have the same urgency to find a job that I did. It, the, the rules are fundamentally different. And so if you take and go after talent the way you have for the last 40 years because it worked, um, good, good luck. There has to be winners and losers. But again, if you take just a couple of simple ideas, you can get yourself fully staffed and ahead of this before, before it gets uh, really bad. Again, more math. There's 11.1 million open jobs. There's only 6.2 million unemployed people. We are still now just barely to the same employment level we were before the pandemic started. And you can't open a car door without hitting two now hiring signs. Now ask me one more time, why we have to be concerned about if there's enough talent out there. It's, it's and, a radical certainty. And it's really just the tip of the iceberg because you know as well as I do, um, millennials are a different breed. We change jobs every, every 16 to 24 months. And then a lot of companies, the break-even analysis on an employee hired is 12 to 24 months, especially right. as you get scope creep on the salary, you hire someone that makes six figures or multiple six figures, the break even on that's usually not, you're looking at like 24 months. If you're not finding the talent, that's an emergency, then you have to cultivate and develop the talent to keep the butts in the seats, which is a whole nother conversation. And People still don't get it or business yeah. development guys and leaders still don't get it. And it makes me have like that, that stomach in your throat feeling because <laughs> I'm building a business at the onset of this. So, so and I just, already have heartburn. Yeah. Let me just lay this out for you for millennials. We have eight, millennials are no longer this mystical, magical generation. They are the oldest millennial turned 40 this year. So we're not talking about 23 year olds okay. anymore. Okay. We know who they are. They, SHRM, the Society for Human Resources Managers, has tracked their movement over the last 18 years, and they change companies, not jobs. They change companies every 3.4 years. Now, they don't want to. Let me be clear. It's not inherent. It do, do not leave this podcast and say, well, all millennials leave because that's just who they are. They don't want to leave. But if I'm known for anything across the country, it's this saying, when millennials stop learning, they start leaving. And Joe, I'll ask you to weigh into that as you, somebody who fits into that category, whether you see that as true. But it's absolutely true that millennials are, have, are the first generation who don't know a world without Google. They have had access to the combined knowledge of the history of the world in 15 seconds their entire lives. They are learning entities and expect and, and have been surrounded by learning in every form they wanted as long as they've been alive. And so when you interview and hire people, I always, I don't joke about this, it's not funny, but I want you to have this moment with me. When you interview people, 
you in, you screen out everybody who doesn't want to develop and grow. You only hire people who want to develop and grow. And then you don't have a good development and growth strategy inside your organization. And then you come and ask me why those people leave you. Well, you brought them in. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Now, there's a, a I have a really cool model that does that, the subject matter expert model. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be difficult. But do not leave this broadcast thinking that millennials want to leave you. They, in fact, do not want to leave you. And so as long as there's a, uh, there's growth, and in my generation, growth always meant promotion or pay increase. That is not what I want you to hear. You can grow people in height, pay and, and uh, promotion, but you can also uh, grow them in breadth or depth, right? Depth of knowledge. And that's what they're super hungry for. Give me difficult, interesting problems to solve. Get out of my way. And let me use all the tools on the internet and on Coursera and on LinkedIn Learning and all those tools to help me find best practices and benchmarks and bring them into our organization. Give me interesting problems to solve and I will stay. I It's rare that I see your resume anymore. Um, and I'm not hiring manager anymore, so I don't see a ton. That doesn't have some type of continuous learning on it. My own resume, basically, there's a line in it in the summary that says, if you don't have a culture of learning or uh, a culture of excellence, then I'll leave. If you lie about it, then I'll find out and I'll leave. Uh, that's basically what it says on there. And and I was this way before I even heard, you know, all, all the, the the gospel that you're preaching, <laughs> like... But and I typed into Google at one point the organizations um, that that poured the most into developing and maintaining their workforce. That's how I found Accenture. Um, Boston Consulting Group was in there, and then your 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 big major guys as well: uh, Amazon, AWS, Microsoft. They they have very robust training and development programs. SaaS, SaaS, and deliver and Disney have great programs as well. Yeah, exactly. So your your big your biggest companies, they have it and they've probably paid guys like Chris and guys like other people we've had on the show a lot of money to build those things out. That needs to be the rule, not the exception. Your small business needs to develop talent. And one of the ways, and um, yeah, Chris is exactly right. That That is the millennial. We're not mysterious. That's what we want. We don't just want pay and VP and senior VP, executive VP. It's like, how many more VPs could you add? We, we want knowledge to be poured into us because we're the class of people that gets paid for what they know, not necessarily, uh, well, hard skills are good. Yeah. Uh, but one of the low cost ways to develop people, um, and I'll let Chris explain this because I'll butcher it. <laughs> um, but you, you spoke about making subject matter experts out of people, giving them opportunities to to you know, identify a couple of areas and you become this team or this organization's person for that, kind of like a thought, an in-house thought leader. Can you exactly. talk about that? Can I just lay that out for just a minute or two, please? Yeah. So, so uh, again, you know, there's, there's 7 million companies struggling with talent and there's only one of me. So I'm trying to give people what they need because <laughs> I can't get to everybody. But the subject matter expert model that I developed over about seven years really relies on this idea. That, that you shouldn't develop people simply in, in knowledge for the sake of knowledge. You should develop people in a sake of knowledge that solves significant problems in your organization. So, for example, one of the things I, I suggest that leaders do is to identify, spend 60 days identifying the reoccurring circular problems that you just 
can't ever seem to get rid of in your organization, not generally, not off the internet, but, but those problems that in your staff meetings, you know, you say this problem and everybody kind of laughs nervously, not because it's funny, but because everybody knows it's a problem and we should have fixed it, but we don't know how. You identify 10 of those problems that are reoccurring circular problems and, and you identify them as either having a root cause in people or process, right? Really important here that, that in my world, in my very binary world, problems in business only happen for one of two reasons. Either the process was good, but people didn't follow the process, or people did exactly what the process told them to do, but the process didn't serve us in, that, in, in this way. So, so a failure for you to take care of logistics problems or reliability problems or quality issues or pricing problems or getting back to customers all have to be identified as either having a root cause in people or process. Now what you want to do is have those 10 problems. And what we want to do is identify an area of study where we could make that problem go away. Now, it's, it's much easier than you think it is, because in my world, information was controlled by managers or I had to go to the library and check out a four year old set of Encyclopedia Britannica's. Right. That's that is not the world we live in today. There are 29 million different businesses in America. I don't care what problem your business have somebody's figured it out and put their best practices and, and benchmarks of how they solved it into, into online learning, right? Whether it's Coursera, LinkedIn Learning, uh, edX, one of those great learning platforms. But what I want you to do is take one, each one of those problems, identify an area of study or benchmarks that somebody could, uh, could research to find other companies that have fixed that problem, and then assign one of your really talented people, give them two hours a week on company time, for six months to learn everything they possibly can about that topic. Again, whether it's logistics, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's new product development, whether it's engineering, uh, whether it's lockout, tagout, whatever those, that problem is that's driving you crazy, the one that keeps you up at night. And assign one of your aspiring people to give them two hours a week on company time for six months to learn all, use all the resources on the internet their LinkedIn connections, all the online learning that exists in there, and let them become the subject matter expert on this topic to find other companies that have solved it. And then in order for that person to become the subject matter expert, uh, Stephen Covey, who is one of my favorite authors of all time, God rest his soul, he said, if you want to learn any topic at its deepest level, you should do so by preparing to teach it to someone else. So that subject matter expert now says, I'm a subject matter expert. I've studied for six months. They prove their subject matter expertness to you by teaching it to you or their direct manager or supervisor at a deep subject matter expert level. So not only do we solve the problem because we found benchmarks and best practices, whether, whether we studied analytical problem solving or root cause analysis, conflict resolution, win-win bargaining, lean manufacturing, whatever that is, but now we disseminate through the rest of the organization, and that's how we create a learning structure inside the organization, and that subject matter expert drives it. You as the manager doesn't have to drive it. You as the owner doesn't have to drive it. They own and drive that knowledge base and dissemination throughout their organization, and becoming a subject matter expert makes them eligible for the next promotion. In other words, don't tell me you want to be our next manager. Show me. Don't tell me you want to be our next customer service manager. Show me in your ability to learn, solve problems, teach, train, coach other people, 
and then disseminate that information far and wide. So you asked a nickel question. I gave you a dollar fifty answer. It's <laughs> now it's to you tomorrow. It's great, and and they're even more offshoots. So I, you know, I I go to this this uh, this uh, what do you call it? Vistage, and with the president and the vice president of the organization, um, the president's now the CEO. And when we knew that, that was in the the planning. That's why we were all there together. But I rode with the VP. We're riding back, and this is one of the things that we spoke about a lot um, because I said. You know, and, and you didn't speak about this. I'm sure you're aware of this. Um, I said that SME model builds a lot of trust because you're handing something off to essentially in the simplest terms and titles aren't everything, but you're handing something off to a subordinate and saying, I trust you to do the research and to come up with a solution for this. And I'm going to buy in. I, I'm pre-buying in because I'm, I'm handing it to you and I trust you enough to be able to research and fix this problem. And we, as a team or an entire organization, we are going to do what you recommend. Yep. That is majorly empowering. And that transfer of trust, that's a big deposit in, in the, you know, social, emotional, uh, in intelligence bank there. <laughs> Joe, you're absolutely right. And it takes all the weight of coming up with every solution off the head of the owner or the manager of the business. Like, like I, I have owned and run businesses before. And one of the hard parts is if you don't do this, then the whole organization, we have a problem. They look to you as the person to come up with the solution. Well, as my late father used to say, there's no one of us as smart as all of us. But why in the world would you want all the responsibility of coming up with every solution on your shoulders? You're not developing anybody. You're, you can only get to as many problems as you are physically or mentally able to get to. And, and yep. what you're talking about is the trust and the goodwill um, that you're building. And not only that, next time you need a manager or supervisor, you don't have to look very far. You will have subject matter experts who have proven their ability internally you don't have to guess whether they'll be a good teacher or mentor or manager or, or coach. They'll already have proved it to you. So, so let me give you a simple tool before we leave this topic, because I do want to get to a little bit how to advertise differently for people, because we the subject matter experts thing, but most people are also struggling with, we put out a job ad and nobody applies or the wrong people apply. I'd love to get to that yeah. if I may. Oh, yeah. But, but think in your own organization. I always think about these two, four, four priorities, right? If and if you go through with these four priorities and think of one or two people in your organization that fit this. So number one, you have an employee that's been with you at least three years, maybe much longer, maybe 10 or 20 years, but at least three years. Number two, they're awesome and you rely on them. If you ask them to get something done, it's just done. Number three, this person deserves to be recognized or, or promoted, but you just don't have a place to promote them. Company's too flat, company's too small, right? Whatever. But number four is the big one. If this person walked in on Monday morning and gave their notice, your heart would jump into your throat. How could we possibly function without this person? Whatever person comes to mind asking yourself those four questions is exactly the person I would suggest you identify as an, as an eligible member for the subject matter expert model. Guys, it's a new year and there are new sales at MyPillow.com. Don't miss out. The most comfortable sheets. I love my MyPillow sheets. Guys, they've got incredible deals on their slippers. They're usually one 
39 you can get them for 49 bucks right now which is totally insane you can get their sheets guys you can get their classic pillow their premium my pillow and my wife's personal favorite you gotta look at the towels and robes my wife would live in her my pillow robe if it were socially acceptable you gotta get in on these savings guys mypillow.com promo code mobley mobley is spelled m-o-b-l-e-y mypillow.com promo code mobley go there now yeah and it's an awesome thing uh it's an awesome thing to bring to an organization and and to their credit, that organization, uh, those two ladies that run it, they are doing that. Um, and they're, um, I, I got, I was there long enough to do one, um, and it was a training and development. I, I wanted, uh, and I cheated a little bit because I'm already an SME in training and development, but I wanted to not have to do it. So that was something that I let someone else do. And then she did, but she did leave because her, her husband got a job overseas. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, remember your people, your people don't want to leave you. So, so start with this premise. We, for, for whatever reason, we have been sold this narrative that people are just random and they want to leave and they'll leave for a dollar an hour and stuff. There is not one person. People don't like change. That's no, not true. <laughs> you're asking when people leave, they leave everyone and every no, thing they know behind. Tell me how happy, unhappy, or how long they've tried to become happy in your company. How long has somebody been unhappy to be willing to leave everyone and their peers, their customers, their vendors, they know the computer system, they know where to park. They're willing to leave all of that behind and go to work for a bunch of strangers on the hope their life will get better. People give you tons of indications that they want your attention and they want some development. We just, we just have to pay more attention because um, A, there's a, 27% cost. If you lose somebody, it generally costs you, according to Sherm, 27% of their annual wages to, to lose them and refill the position along with all the errors and omissions and the lost opportunity there. Um, and also, yeah. you know, the number of talented people out there is dwindling. All right. So we are at the halfway point, guys. And uh, we're not landing the plane yet, but Chris is about to get super practical and tactical on some things that are going to need to get done in your organization. So before we get into that, guys, you need to have this book. So I'm going to be giving away five of these books. Here's what you got to do to get one. You got to open the podcast app on your phone. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show. You don't even have to like it. This is, another, this is a, a, an episode of first. I'm not even telling you to like the show. Go down to the reviews and specifically write something, any one point tiniest thing, you could just write SME model in there that you learned from Chris and from this episode. You write anything that you learned from this episode. Well, I have SME model stuck in my head, but you open the podcast app, search the Joe Mobley show, make sure you're subscribed and write a review of something you learned from Chris from this episode. And you'll be put in the drawing. Five people are going to get this book, Winning the War on Talent by Chris Zarnick. All right. So you wanted to talk about, yeah, I, I remember standing there and I forget the exact numbers, but you said something like, hey guys, within five miles, eight miles of where we are sitting, there are 10,000 companies and nobody's heard of three quarters of them. No one knows you exist. That's what the problem is. It's not the fish. It's you. <laughs> it's not the fish. Uh, so, so talk about that. Yeah, Joe, and 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 we we're the only one who has control over us, right? So we can't control what people think. The trouble is, again, I just want you to think about this idea. I'm going to bang it into your head one more time. If we went fishing, 
and didn't catch fish and walked around blaming the fish, people would laugh at us. If we if we blamed customers, if our salespeople came to us and said, we well, you know there's a recession coming, I'm not even going to try and sell something for the next six, because I heard nobody's going to spend any money. You would have a really hard conversation. You would never accept that from your sales function. So why are we accepting it from HR? Now, I'm, I'm not against HR. I want you to tell you that HR wants to fix this. They, they have fired every bullet in their clip, every arrow in their quiver to fix it. But there has never been a class up until mine that teaches HR when you post a perfectly good job with perfectly good pay and perfectly good benefits and nobody applies, here's what to do next. And so I don't want you to blame your HR people. I want you to bring them a couple of these tools. So number one, I want you to understand that the overwhelming reason I'm going to say 85 plus percent of the reason that my job seekers, my 25,000 job seekers over the last 20 years couldn't find you is because they didn't know your company exists. You know your company exists. You, you have spent thousands of hours. I'm so proud of you. You've built an amazing thing. And because that fills the bubble of your, your mind every day, you start to think that everybody knows that you exist. Well, do a little experiment here. Go to anybody who's worked for your company three years or less and go ask them what they knew about your company the day before they saw your job ad or before your HR person reached out to them. If you want to know whether people are unwilling or unable to come to work for you, I'll get there in a second. First, go ask your own people because everything you need to do what I'm asking to do already exists inside your own walls. I'm not asking you to do some complicated marketing strategy. I'm asking you to go talk to the fish you already caught and figure out how you caught them. So there's only two possibilities that people that you wish were coming to work for you, there's only two possibilities the reason that they're not coming. They're either unwilling or unable. I'm a former military officer. And so we, we always would say if a soldier, we gave them a lawful order, if they didn't do it, it wasn't reasonable that they just we're unwilling. I just don't. That's not the right, Joe. That's not really how the military works, right? No. You <laughs> have you're pretty much going to do it. But but then if they didn't, we had to figure out were they unwilling or unable to do it, which means unable would mean physically or mentally unable to do it. Uh, don't doesn't have the tools or the ability to do it. They want to do it. They but they, they either don't know how, don't have the tools to do it and can't get physically can't get it done. But unwilling is different. Unwilling would mean they they know they know how to do it, but they have different priorities. They don't know the importance of it. So you need to ask yourself at a base level, do the people who are not applying for your job currently, are they unwilling or unable? And there's a simple exercise to figure that out. And I do this at, at every one of my workshops. Just all I want you to do is go online to whatever search engine that you are currently advertising your open positions. Monster, Indeed right? Bethesda has jobs, whatever, whatever, wherever, I'm in around Detroit area now. So whatever website you are, your company is currently spending its most time and effort advertising its open positions and go on there and be the job seeker for a moment and go and try and find your job ad without using the name of your company. If we start with the premise that most people aren't applying for your company because they don't know your company exists, which overwhelmingly you'll find out is true when you interview your own people then what they're doing is they're going on and they're going on to the website, you're advertising your job, but they're putting in what? Sales manager or truck driver or welder or uh, quality manager. You can use the words and phrases of the job, but go look for your job ad 
on whatever site you are spending the most time, effort, and money to advertise your jobs to get it out there and try and find your job ad without using the name of the company. And you're going to very quickly find that one of two things is true. Either you can't, you yourself can't find your job ad or it appears on the second, third, or fourth page of 467 jobs, or your job ad is easy to find, but your job ad looks exactly like all the other job ads that are competing for the exact same person. So the first thing I want you to do as an organization to figure out if people are unwilling or unable is do this exercise with your own HR staff. Don't, don't judge them. Don't come prejudge with anything. You guys, the three or four of you sit in a room and go on the website and try and find your job ad without using the name of the company and have the exact same experiences that my job seekers are having. My job seekers want your better job. As a matter of fact, it should make you a little bit confused that you drive past people every day who are in jobs way worse than yours, right? That doesn't make any sense to you. The person who's in the in the pit of the 10 minute oil change place you used last week, that's making 13, 50 an hour, 20 hours a week with no benefits. Why are they there instead of working and running your machine or driving your truck, which is a way better job with a way better pay benefits and opportunity? Well, the first question is, are they unwilling or unable? Unable means they didn't see your job ad and don't know your company exists. You gotta fix that. Unwilling is different. Unwilling is they saw your job ad but made a value-based decision not to come. Well, until you do that analysis yourself, until you interview your own people that you've hired over the last couple of years, how in the world could you know what those job seekers are thinking? So go interview anybody who has been with your company three years or less and go find out, A, what did they know about your company the day before they came, they saw your job ad or, or you reached out to them? Number two, what was it about your job ad that made them apply to you instead of the other 216 jobs that were on the line. And now that they're there, what's one amazing thing about your company? Now that they're there, what's one great, amazing benefit of your company? Flexibility, good leadership. Is it uh, you let them get to their kids' baseball games, right? Is it uh, uh, is it learning? What is it that just has to be in our job ad that sets you apart? Go ask the fish. I mean, I'm using fish as a euphemism. Go ask your talented, amazing employees. How you got them? Um, because the line doesn't for, form anymore. And are people unwilling or unable to come there? Um, as, I'm going to comment, Joe, and then I'm, I've got more. <laughs> as a big networker, you know, I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. The situation is so dire. I, I'm still stuck in the first half of the interview. And, and, I, <laughs> there, it, and I was back at the Vistage group as well while you were, so I'm glad to hear some of this stuff again because I didn't get as good a notes on this because I was still having palpitations from the other thing and I'm too young for that. But uh, guys, the situation's so dire when you are out there and you see these uh, high skill, high will um, employees, just talk to them right there you know i i see this person in the pit and i'm gonna say hey you know great job thanks for working on my car if you ever think about taking your talents somewhere else we got trucks we got generators we got things with motors that need attention and i i can guarantee you a better work-life balance pay benefits than you're getting here and give out i know cards aren't sexy anymore i still give out cards and people make fun of me for it so, um, so let, me, let me touch that joke because there's a way to do this right my client companies all give 10 cards to their executive people that they have to give out in a given year. 
On one side is the contact information for our company and HR. On the other side is a saying that says, you're awesome. We should talk. And, and think about it. You in your life, because you're a talented guy and I and many people on this podcast have been recruited in our lives. And it feels great to be recruited. When's the last time the person mixing your paint at Home Depot got recruited? It, it very rarely happens at that level. It feels amazing. And again, that person working 20 hours a week at Home Depot is likely not there because that's their dream job that they wanted. It's, it's what they could get. Again, if I'm known for an other saying across the country, it's people are not in the jobs they want. They're in the jobs they could get. Mm-hmm. And so we got to stop thinking that people are in the place they belong because go back to the very start of my conversation. Nobody taught anybody in high school, college, or your master's program how to figure out where you belong in the world and the work and how to find it. So if you start with the assumption that job seekers don't know where they belong and where their talents can best be utilized, then that's up to us as the company to identify the problem we have to solve, create the persona of the person who has the skills to create that, uh, solve that problem, identify the hobbies and the jobs that person is probably in before they find their right place. And then we go to them there. I, you, you made us do another exercise and we, um, we typed in or we wrote down our hobbies. And when I did that, the literal job that I was in came up as number one or number two. (laughs) And I was like, this guy's a magician. (laughs) What is going on? I showed it to my boss. She just laughed out loud. Uh, I was exactly, it was like five characteristics and hobbies and things. And it was like, you should do this. I was like, oh my gosh. Joe, I've worked with so many people in my life. What I realized is that the number one indicator of being happy in your job is the alignment of your, uh, I've taught Myers-Briggs for a long time is the alignment of your personality type with the job itself. But yeah. but nobody we know that as a company, we do that all the time in companies with great tools like strength finders and 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 uh, culture index and predictive index and, and real colors and all disk and all those other wonderful tools. What I'm suggesting is you you identify the personality type of the person who would love your job, right? Which is simple, right? If you have a machine operator job, you can literally type in Google best Myers-Briggs personality type for somebody running a machine. And it will tell you not only the words and phrases that that person wants in their life and responds to, but it'll tell you what hobbies they love, what other jobs that they, they would love, jobs that they would hate. And all of that is a roadmap to how to interview to people who would love your job, but are currently in the wrong job. So now, Chris, like where, where's a good right place now. Where's What's a good that? place to post those things, those hobbies and those exact language, that exact verbiage? Where's a good place to post that? Yeah, so so I teach a whole other process, the three box uh, model for for writing job ads completely differently. Like one of the things you're gonna fear people are gonna find out when they do this exercise looking for their own job is even if they can find their job, all the job ads look exactly the same. And so oftentimes, uh, you know, my client companies will say, well, people are just going to the highest wage. Well, if you look at the job ad and they all look exactly the same and the only variable is the wage, why wouldn't my people go to the place that has the the highest wage, right? If the only variable. And so what I want you to do is I want you to free yourself up in that job ad and list in the job ad, right? Here's the problem we have to solve. Here are the industries that people have left and successfully come to our industry. We have to 
It's a concept called changing lanes. In other words, for 40 years, our job ads told people, if you're not already in our industry and don't have this many years of experience, don't even bother applying. I but see them every day. Every day. And, every and day. That, works, that works great when there's more people than there are jobs. But imagine the number of people you're excluding and you already have in your company. Go ask your own people, what industries did you leave to successfully come to our industry? And now you list in the job ad, our last three great employees came from these non-related industries. If that sounds like you, then you sound like us. So we want to give people permission if they have a certain skill set or ability, right? If somebody's good at sales, we don't care whether they were selling pixie sticks or eyeglasses or cell phones or car tires. But if but we got to give them permission because the average job seeker would look at your job in, uh, you know, in uh, pharmaceutical sales or whatever that thing is and say, well, you know, I've been very, very good at financial sales, but I've never sold in pharmaceuticals, so I'm not even going to apply well, you probably already have people who have made that transition successfully. We got to tell people that it's fine. We'd love for you to make this transition from one industry to ours. Then the next thing you want to do is you want to list the, the, the hobbies. Our best people in this job enjoy these hobbies. So people will say, well, I've never done that specific job. It sounds interesting to me. I'd love to do it. I think I have the talent to do it. But because I've never done it, how do I know that I'm actually going to fit not only in the job, but in the organization? Well, your hobbies are the clearest, easiest method to identify your personality type. If you tell me your hobbies, and Joe used to just experience it when we were together. Yeah. If you tell it, me your hobbies. This is hobbies, a true story, guys. <laughs> I, can tell you, I can tell you how you spend your money, how you go on vacation, a lot about the vehicle you drive, and the best and worst jobs you have. It's all there on the internet for free anytime you want. And so we are, think of a job ad now. Every job I ever worked except for high school, it was like Chick-fil-A or something, was captured in this. Everyone, <laughs> law enforcement, military, almost in order. Yep. It was the creepiest thing. <laughs> Guys, we have 85 years of evidence over half a billion people. That's how many people have taken the Myers-Briggs test. Eight, if, if you had a scientific example of that was 85 years in length, over a half a billion people, you'd probably pay attention to the results. That's what I'm telling you is available to you with a simple Google search any way you want. Just type in best personality type for uh, for sales manager. It'll give you the personality type. You take the personality type and say favorite hobbies of this personality type, best and worst jobs, frustrations, of, and, and type in uh, type in the values for that personality type. If you type in the person I type and the word values into Google, it'll literally give you a list of words and phrases and concepts that have to be in your job ad to attract somebody who will naturally be a good fit for your organization. So I Many people know about our clinic, but most don't realize we help patients around the globe reach their health goals. Deep down, you know there's got to be a way to get there but you don't know where to start. Our starter plan is the first step. You'll get everything you need to experience a health transformation in 120 days. You'll start by resetting your health with a two-week detox. Then you'll implement our proven anti-inflammatory food plan. On top of this, you'll get a 120-day supply of essential supplements, omega-3, and vitamin DK, as well as our homeopathic drops to accelerate your health goals. 
Go to Sherwood.tv now and use the promo code on your screen to receive this exclusive offer and save a total of $80. This is your path to more energy and better health. I know. I'm sorry. I'm dominating the conversation. I Google all that. Oh no! This is a this is what a podcast interview is. Where the host is like a facilitator. Okay, great. Um, but Google will help you with this, guys, and Amazon and all of the the iPhones and all of this stuff will help you because it sees what you've typed in, and my phone wants to show me stuff that I like, so I stay on it. So if you do what Chris is telling you to do, it sounds it sounds silly. I promise you guys that night, maybe the next day. No, it was that night because I was <laughs> in emergency in crisis. I took down two. No, I didn't take down. I duplicated two job postings. One of them was like three questions. Are you an X type of work? We found out we interviewed the answers are in your company. And Chris yes. is talking about that. We interviewed our own employees. We interviewed our existing account management team. Um, we learned their hobbies, their personality styles. We, we knew that they to be successful, they needed to be extroverts, really, because it was a super duper uber client facing role, traveling and conference attendance and all that stuff. Um, but we didn't know that 90% of the team shared three of the same four hobbies. We didn't know that. So I went back and said, and consulting, we started pulling people from consulting. Are you, are you 10 years into your consulting career and looking to get out? Do you enjoy blah, 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 blah. And then it was three questions. I don't remember the third. And then it was a statement. Hey, our, our team is just like you. We want to talk. And that's how we made hires for our uh, five and six that I made. <laughs> it, it was a Chris Zarnick job posting, I promise. And the other one, um, the first one that you detailed, that was the second one that I duplicated. And it, it, it handed us some of the most qualified and star-studded cast of interviewees. Like you, you've got, this is an emergency. Well, it's a pro tip. It's a big hack, but it's an emergency. Yeah. Do it today. And so as we're getting to the end of our conversation, just let me give you a couple of quick pieces of advice. Number one is what I learned. I, 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 I kind of researched the way billion dollar com companies sell us everything for a year before I wrote the book, winning the war for talent. For, so, so Chris Sarnick's a pretty smart guy about people, but I'm really good at identifying best practices and benchmarks. So I studied, I studied Google and I studied Porsche and Ford and Princess Cruise Lines and Disney and all those places. And the very first thing they do before they advertise or create any new product or service is they create a persona of the person who's going to buy the product they're about to build. So if you can't describe to me who's going to buy this product and what problem it solves for them, then you've got no business advertising a job or any other product or service. A persona in simple terms, is a fictional model of your ideal applicant. So for your job ads, go talk to your people, interview your people who love your job, and from that inf information, create a, a, a fictional model of your ideal applicant. And now with your job ads, speak to that person. Why are they unhappy in their current job? How long have they been in that job? What are they lacking in the job? What's the geographical radius that they're in? What kind of industries are they in and frustrated by um, that, that they want out? Are they, uh, do they need a different job because the commute's too long, because they've been in the job four years without being promoted, because they've got a bad boss, right? One of my favorite job ads, I'm going to give one away here, Joe. One of my favorite job ads begins with the phrase, fire your horrible boss. 
Yeah. It, it, does, it does not say be our machine operator for $2 more an hour. We got to stop trying to bribe happy people to leave their happy job and their happy friends to come maybe be happier with a bunch of strangers for two bucks more an hour, right? Everybody's job search starts with being unhappy. Look at your own life. Every job change you've made started with you being unhappy or dissatisfied with something. And so speaking to that in your job ad, fixing that problem for them and identifying those problems by asking your own people, why were you unhappy enough to leave your last job and come to us? Joe, you said it. Everything you, do, you need to do to do what I teach my client companies to do already exists in your own organization. And I've just, yeah. you know, I've, I've just created a process in order to be able to do it. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, you know, the last place that I worked in was overtly political. They're, they are the premier agency for fundraising and direct mail fundraising for conservative causes and clients. So I got to tell you guys, a top line that I put that was incredibly effective was uh, I, I didn't put fire your horrible boss. I said, fire your woke boss. Yeah. And everyone who saw that with that simple statement told them so much about the culture and their ability to fit in and be happy at this place. Yeah. Yeah. More, more candidates, qualified candidates, not just these aren't, we're not trying to sell you on getting unqualified candidates. These are people that are going to be happy and you, you just, you got to find them because time is running out. I feel, I feel like a, like a, uh, a fear monger here, but this is Matt. You said it so well. It's not, it's not uh, so do or religion or this is mathematical math. certainty. And I don't listen. I don't want anybody on this podcast to believe me. Doubt me all you want. I'm just some loudmouth from from Wisconsin, right? What could I possibly know about the complex employment situation across the country? Other than if you do your own math, you're going to find out that in the next two and a half years, 85 percent or more of the largest generation in the history of this country is out of the workforce, and we're eight million people short. And so, so start there. Get out, get in front of it today because many companies aren't even, they're going to wait until it's crisis stage in two years. But I'm just telling you, at some point, they're all gone. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a fear monger here at all. The math says, I mean, if you were, if you were about to lack a critical natural raw material, right? If you said, if somebody said to you, hey, we've been supplying you 10 million lineal feet of this raw material for the last 40 years. But starting next year, we can only supply you 8 million lineal feet of that raw material. You wouldn't blame the government. You wouldn't blame the raw material. You wouldn't swear at the machine. You'd say, wow, there's a shortage of a raw material that's critical to us. We better get ours before somebody else gets it because there's only yeah. so much of it. That, for the first time in your business life, is where we are. All right. Well, Chris, we got one minute uh, left. Well, you have one minute left. I have an additional minute. Uh, so just, you know, leave, leave that voicemail for society and, uh, and then I'll take us out. Yeah. Just remember my people desperately want your better jobs. Like, like take everything you think, you know, about job seekers. If you think they're lazy, if you think they don't want to work, how do you explain all the great people in your organization today? Right. My people have never been taught how to find your great jobs. It's time for you to stop waiting for them to find you. And just like you find great customers by solving their problems, how about we solve the problems of my job seekers and teach, teach them to, to come into a job where they can have a higher level of service, right? That person 
who's making $14 an hour in the pit of that oil change place could be running your $200 an hour fully loaded burden rate machine. The only thing that's stopping them is that they don't know that you exist and they don't think with their skills they you would ever consider them. It's time to go to them instead of waiting for them to come to us. Awesome. Unbelievable interview. Thanks so much, Chris, for coming on. And thanks for doing what you do. It's it's truly a great message. The The presentation, if you have a chance to go and see one of Chris's talks, take it, do it, whatever it costs, or uh, hopefully someone else is footing the bill to bring him in. Uh, <laughs> but but do 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 that. Um, check him out. He's all over the web. He's got a website. It's chriszarnick.com. It's in the show notes below. Uh, but again, guys, this is episode 180. It's the first episode of the year 2023. Um, open the podcast app and write a review. Honestly, I, I don't think you need to be subscribed to the show to write a review. So if it lets you, you don't even have to subscribe or like it. Open the podcast app on your phone, search The Joe Mobley Show, and give a comment about something that you learned in this episode, and you'll be entered for a chance to win one of five copies of Chris Arnick's book, Winning the War on Talent. Chris, thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Yeah, Joe, and, and just one last plug. If, if you, you're interested in your company uh, learning how to do this, just send us a message at contact at chrisarnick.com. Uh, I help, you know, probably 50 companies a year. Uh, and, if, and if you've been so inspired, we'd love to talk to you. Absolutely. And that link is going to be below as well. So it'll say connect with Chris and it'll have, uh, I think, a LinkedIn and a website link for you guys to go to and a link to buy the book. Uh, so, <laughs> Joe, thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Absolutely. Thank you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.